Turn with me in your Bible to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 15, and it's found on page 1175. We're in the closing verses of Mark's Gospel. We've considered Christ's death, and Ken in the Sunday school class this morning mentioned how Christ's death occurred at Passover time. And so while a lamb was sacrificed in the temple, the true lamb of God was being sacrificed outside the city in Golgotha. And his sacrifice was not simply about rescuing people from their enslavement to the Egyptians, but instead to their slavery to sin. And so this evening we'll consider how Jesus was dead and buried, but that was not the end, how he rose from the tomb, proving He was triumphant over sin and its resulting death. Let's read God's word. We're going to read Mark chapter 15 and verse 40 into chapter 16, verse 8. Listen, this is God's word. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less and of Jose and Salome who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he bought fine linen, took him down, and wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jose, observed where he was laid. Now when the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white, long white robe sitting on their right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. Well, the end of the Napoleonic Wars, a message was sent across the English Channel by way of lamplight from a ship to the lookouts on the south coast of England. 
England was desperate to find out news of how the war was going on. But the message that came across was Wellington defeated. The lookout signal then passed the message on to the other stations and the news spread across the countryside, bringing great gloom, bringing sadness. It appeared that Napoleon had won. But then there was a great reversal, for fog had come down upon the channel, hampering the full message from coming through. And so when the fog lifted, the message was sent again. And this time in full, Wellington defeated the enemy. And so there was joy, there was happiness. Wellington had won. And in a similar way, it appeared to most people, including the disciples of Jesus Christ, that Christ had been defeated. Three days later, the resurrection proves that Christ was not defeated. Instead, the message is, Christ defeated the enemy. And so, in knowing this, I want you to see you're to move from fear and amazement to courage in Jesus Christ. For he is risen, and in him you have life. So, firstly, accept that Jesus Christ really died on the cross. So Jesus Christ really died on the cross. So last week we considered the Roman centurion who believed in Jesus after Jesus cried out and breathed his last. Remember how the centurion said, truly, this man is the son of God. And here in our passage, we read of other witnesses to the death of Christ on the cross. From a distance, there are three women, three Marys. There's Mary Magdalene, there's Mary, the mother of James the Less, or James the Younger, and Josie. And this is understood to be Jesus' mother, Mary, as Jesus had brothers named James and Josie. And then Salome, who is understood to be the mother of James and John. We can read of these three women in John's Gospel. John 19, verse 25, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So Salome is understood to be a sister of Mary, and an aunt, therefore, of Jesus. These women, and we read of many other women, were present at the cross. And it demonstrates that they were faithful followers of Christ. They had traveled all the way from Galilee in their devotion to Christ. They served Jesus and his disciples What is notable about these women is that they stayed with Jesus. Unlike the disciples who had all ran off with the exception of John, these women had stayed put. As a result, they are witnesses to the fact that Jesus died on the cross. They would have heard him cry out and breathe his last also, they would have seen the spear go into his side, proving that he was dead. But they were unusual witnesses because the testimony of women was not accepted in a Jewish court of law. Jewish or Women were seen as second-class citizens back in that tradition. They were marginalized. They were not listened to. They were not taken seriously. And yet these unusual witnesses speaks of the historicity of Jesus' death. Because if you were going to make this up, 
you would not use women to be your eyewitnesses. You would be sure to use men. But because it's true, because it's women who witnessed the death of Christ, Mark would use them as eyewitnesses, for that is who they are. He names them so that his readers could go and speak to them themselves if they had any questions. They would have been well known in the early church. He names the sons of Mary, the mother of Jesus. They were also well known in the church, James being one of the early leaders of the early church. Many want to deny that Jesus actually died on the cross. Some even want to simply say that he fainted on the cross. Muslims believe that it wasn't even Jesus who died on the cross, it was someone else. But we see here that Mark is building his case. He's giving you evidence that Jesus really died on the cross. I'm sure many of you are familiar with Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, and it begins with the famous lines, Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. Dickens was emphasizing that Marley was dead, so that when Marley's ghost appears, there could be, mo- could be no misunderstanding of who the apparition was that appeared to Ebenezer Scrooge to warn him that he still had a chance to turn his life around and escape his fate. Well, Mark the writer here is emphasizing that Jesus is dead. He's making sure his readers understand that this is all historical fact. But not only did Jesus die on the cross, we read that he was buried. So secondly, accept that Jesus Christ was really buried, verses 42 to 47. So when a criminal dies in the Roman system, even his body would not be treated with respect. It would be left on the cross to rot, a sign that this is what happens to anyone who commits treason against the Roman emperor. And after that, the body would be simply thrown into a mass grave. But we read in John's gospel, John 19, verse 31, Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Mark also mentions it being the preparation day, the day before the Sabbath, helping his non-Jewish reader to understand the urgency of what was going to take place. Mark now introduces us to Joseph of Arimathea. It must be noted that Joseph is included in all four Gospels. Joseph was a rich man by the fact that he owned his own tomb. We also read that he was a prominent member of the Jewish council. Remember, it was the Jewish council that had put Jesus to death. They tried him, but we noted that this council met in the evening, and all they needed was a simple majority to pass their decision. In Luke's gospel, it records that Joseph had not consented his decision uh, to Christ's death, so most likely Joseph wasn't even there. Sinclair Ferguson suggests that the Sanhedrin's decision to condemn Jesus to death, that may have been the deciding factor for Joseph. 
John's Gospel describes Joseph as a secret disciple of Jesus. But now, after knowing that Jesus was unfairly put to death, simply for exposing the religious leader's hypocrisy, Joseph now decides to come out in the open and declare his allegiance to Jesus. Mark inserts this interesting fact about Joseph, that he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Now that stands out because all religious leaders were waiting for the Messiah to come. They were all waiting for the kingdom to come. Why is Mark highlighting this fact about Joseph? Well, it must be that Joseph had made the connection that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the coming king. Jesus had spoken of his coming kingdom. He had performed many miracles that demonstrated his kingship. And so Joseph recognized Jesus is the king. And this devotion to his king is evident in that he takes responsibility to have Jesus buried. Joseph would be familiar with the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy 21. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, for he who is hanged is accursed of God. And so Joseph would have recognized that the right thing to do was to give Jesus a proper burial. He may have also understood that if Jesus is the coming king, that he is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, who would be buried with the rich. Did Joseph see himself as a fulfillment of this passage in Isaiah 53, verse 9? And he made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Well, we can't be sure of his intentions, but Joseph does ask Pilate for the body, which we will see is a significant thing. And we read that Pilate was surprised that Jesus was dead. He doesn't take Joseph's word for it. He asks his centurion, a high-ranking officer who would know whether a man was dead or not, and the centurion confirms it. So as a result, Pilate gives the body to Joseph. And this too is remarkable, that Pilate would release the body of a criminal. But it's another glimpse of Pilate's sympathy toward Jesus as an innocent man. This is all happening during the evening before the Sabbath begins, so there would have been an urgency to it. We read that Joseph, or probably one of Joseph's servants, bought linen for Jesus' body. That then Joseph took Jesus down from the cross. This too is significant, for to touch a dead body would have left you unclean. Joseph then wrapped him in the linen, and we read in John's Gospel that Nicodemus helped him with this. And so Joseph would know from his handling of Christ's body that Jesus was indeed dead. And finally we read that Joseph places him in the tomb a tomb that was carved out of rock with a stone that was rolled against it to close the entrance. And we read again of how Mark includes witnesses. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, also known as Mary, also known as Mary, Jesus' mother, eyewitnesses to where the body lay. So Mark is again confirming 
over and over again that Jesus is dead and buried. And this emphasis is also seen in the ancient creeds of the church. They all repeat Jesus' death and burial and that he rose from the dead. These are historic facts that are not to be denied. Well, thirdly then, accept that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Verses 1 to 8. So again, we read of Mark's witnesses in verse 1. The same three women who witnessed Jesus' death on the cross would be witnesses to this historic, uh, momentous occasion. Ferguson writes, No one who wanted to fabricate a convincing account of the resurrection in first century Palestine would have dreamed of doing it in this way. Notice from their conversation, they were not expecting to find a risen Jesus. They were not coming with excitement. They were not coming with anticipation of a risen Christ. They were not saying, well, Jesus did prophesy that he would rise three days later. Maybe he's alive inside the tomb. No, instead, they were expecting to find a dead body. They had saw Jesus die. They saw that he was buried quickly, so his body was not properly prepared. They were here to finish off what they could not do on Friday because of the Sabbath day observance. But on the way, they realized that they have a practical need. They needed the stone removed from the tomb. We read that the stone was very large, too large even for three women to move. But that would not be an issue. On their arrival, they found that the stone had already been moved. We read that they enter the tomb, and they find an angel, a young man clothed in a long white robe, And they are alarmed in response to this being. The angel tells them not to be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. So these women, they were present for Jesus' burial. They would see where Jesus' body had once been, and now it's gone. In other accounts, we read that the linen cloths were left behind, and they would have seen that. Jesus, however, was not present. And the angel tells them why. He is risen. He has come back to life. He is resurrected. And many try to deny the resurrection. They say that the woman went to the wrong tomb. Uh, They they talk about the time of day that it was too dark and so they couldn't find the right tomb. But if that had been the case... Surely the right tomb would have finally been opened for Jesus' body to be found, to put an end to that false idea. There is also the idea that the disciples stole Jesus' body. This was something that the Jewish leaders encouraged. But when we consider how the disciples ran away when Jesus was arrested, they would not have the courage to do something like this. This is especially true by the fact that these men died in their belief of a risen savior no one would die for a lie they would only die for the truth some say that the jews stole jesus body but this too does not make sense if the jews had stolen jesus body to prevent the disciples stealing jesus body well surely they would have been glad to exhibit publicly jesus's dead body to squash christianity No, we have to accept what Mark is saying here 
Jesus really did die, or sorry, Jesus really did rise from the dead. There is no other explanation for the empty tomb. And this is what Jesus prophesied that he would do. And so the resurrection, it proves that Jesus was victorious in gaining for you and for me our salvation. By rising again, he defeated sin. He defeated death. They could not keep a hold on him. And so it is in Christ's resurrection that we are assured of our faith in Christ. Wilmhurst writes, Jesus' resurrection is a proof that all the Bible's promises about eternal life are true. It's no wonder that Paul responds to the false idea of there being no resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 this way, uh, from verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Without the resurrection, the message of Christ falls flat. But with the resurrection, the message of Christ it holds out hope. Johnny Erickson Tata frequently speaks of the hope that she has in the resurrection. Johnny, at the age of 17, after a diving accident, she was left paralyzed from the neck down. She writes, I, with shriveled, bent hands, atrophied mu- muscles, snarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope that the resurrection gives to someone who is spinal cord injured like me? Our risen Lord Jesus Christ gives us hope even in death. He promises no more suffering, no more pain, no more struggle with sin. Instead, you'll have new bodies. You'll have sanctified souls. Well, fourthly, Receive Christ's offer of forgiveness, verse 8. The angel gives the woman instruction. He tells them, go and tell Jesus' disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So the women were to pass on this message to the disciples. These were the men who had ran away from Jesus in his time of need. Even though he had warned them, they still deserted him. And the angel specifically includes Peter. Peter was singled out, for Peter was the one disciple who adamantly said he would never leave Jesus. And yet he did something even worse. He denied Christ. And he did it three times, even though Jesus had warned him that he would do this. But by telling the woman to go to the disciples and to go to Peter, we see Christ's offer of forgiveness. 
Ferguson writes, his Lord understood all that Peter must have been going through. The sense of shame and despair he had known as he wept bitterly. There were special reasons why Peter must meet with Jesus in Galilee. He needed to face up to his failure, be forgiven, and restored to useful service. And so this offer of forgiveness is for you too. Each one of us, we have deserted Christ. We have denied Christ. Every time we sin, we are denying Christ. Jesus wasn't going to start with a new set of disciples. Instead, he forgave them. For he had paid that price of that sin when he died on the cross. And in Christ, you too can know forgiveness. He has paid for your sin, for you to receive forgiveness. Then fifthly and finally, will you be afraid? Or will you take courage in response to Christ? So will you be afraid or will you take courage in response to Christ? What's most surprising about this account of the resurrection is the woman's response. You would have expected them to be full of joy, rejoicing that their Savior is risen. Instead, we read that they went out quickly, they fled from the tomb, they trembled, and they are amazed. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. I was listening to a podcast this week that talked about the normalcy biased, how we all tend to react to things in a way that appears most normal. And the podcast gave the example of 9-11, how people climbed back up the tower because they had left something at their desk. They couldn't believe that a plane had crashed into their building. That's not normal. Instead, what's normal is that everything would return to how it was, and so it's important to them to get their personal belongings. Well, the normalcy bias was kicking in with these women. They were not rejoicing because resurrection is not normal. They're saying nothing to anyone because how would you say you saw an angel? How do you go to people who are grieving the loss of a loved one and say, he's not dead, he's alive? Resurrections are not normal. They couldn't compute what had happened. They shut down. They are in shock. And this reaction that Mark includes is a very common reaction. And we read of it throughout Mark's gospel. In response to Jesus calming the storm, we read of the disciples in Mark 3. And they feared exceedingly and they said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? When Jesus removed the demons out of the demoniac, we read of those tending the pigs, being afraid, and asking Jesus to leave the region. The woman dealing with the discharge of blood, we read of her being in fear and trembling, falling down on her knees before Jesus. In response to Jairus' daughter coming back to life, we read of how people were filled with amazement. And this response of fear and amazement, it's repeated again and again throughout Mark's gospel. Ferguson writes, fear is always man's response to the breaking in of the power of God. So why would Mark finish his gospel in this way? Well, Mark is actually finishing his gospel with one of his Markin sandwiches. We read of the woman in verses 40 to 41. Then we read of the account of Joseph, verses 42 to 47. 
And then it finishes with the woman again at the tomb, verses 1 to 8. And he does this to contrast the different accounts. For while we have fear and bewilderment of the woman, which is a frequent response to Jesus, we also see Joseph of Arimathea's response. And notice the two words that Mark includes in verse 43 about Joseph. Taking courage. Joseph did something very courageous. He boldly went to Pilate to ask for Jesus' body. This stands out, for Joseph was a secret disciple. He is now bold. He goes to Pilate. One commentator suggests that Pilate would have been off duty at this time of day. And yet Joseph uses all his power, all his influence to get an audience with him. He's even risking his life. For Pilate is no fan of the Jews, especially since they had got their own way in demanding Jesus be crucified, defying Pilate's desires. Joseph was also a well-known member of the Jewish Sanhedrin. And so he was courageous in that he's willing to throw away his reputation that he had with the Jews. The Jews believed that Jesus was a blasphemer. But now Joseph was willing to associate with him, for he believed that Jesus to be the king. So Mark concludes his gospel asking, how are you going to respond to Jesus? Are you like Joseph or are you like the woman? Are you fearful or are you courageous? Are you willing to make a stand like Joseph? even to face much ridicule and opposition by taking a stand to associate with Christ? Or are you like the woman who would be afraid, who were not ready to tell anyone about a risen Christ? Well, this is not the end for the woman. Although they wanted to run away, we do read in Matthew's account of them encountering the risen Christ Matthew 28, verse 9, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. This was not a ghost. This was not a hallucination, but a physical body that they could touch. Later we read of them being in the upper room with the disciples when the Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost. These women became just like Joseph. They were courageous. They acknowledge that Christ is their king. But more than that, that since he has risen, since he has defeated death, they now know life in him. And in the same way, you also know life. Each day we face death. It's easy to be fearful. But in Christ, in his resurrection, you can be confident. You too can be courageous. For you have Christ in your life. So you are to move away from fear and amazement. And you are to have courage in Jesus Christ. For he is risen. And so in him you have life. Rico Tice in the Christian Explored course gives this moving story of a friend of his who was dying of cancer in his late 30s. Rico writes of how he saw him three days before he died. And feeling emotional, Rico blurted out, What's it like to die? Rico says he will never forget the answer. His friend looked at him and calmly said, Rico, Christ has risen. The resurrection may be precious to you, but
but I'm going to stand before God in a few days' time. Do you have any idea how precious it is to me? So Rico's friend knew for certain that Christ had died and risen for him. He knew that beyond death, he would gain a body that would never see sorrow, never see suffering, never see disease or decay. He knew that because of the certainty of the resurrection, he could trust Jesus even with his own death. So you are to move from fear and amazement to courage in Jesus Christ, for he is risen, and in him you have life. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it is historical fact. And so we thank you for the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you that because of the work of Christ, that death and sin has been defeated. We thank you that Christ rose victorious from the grave. And so in Christ, we thank you that we have life. And so help us to respond, not with fear, but with courage recognizing that you are our rescuer, that you are our king. In you, we have hope, even in death. And so we do pray that you will bless us with courage, even in this incoming week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn your red psalm book to Psalm 18i. Psalm 18i, this psalm speaks of a rescue for the innocent man. Well, this describes none of us, but it does describe Jesus Christ. These words are true of him. And since we are in Christ, these words are true for you too. You also can be assured of rescue and being brought into God's light. Let's stand and sing Psalm 18i.